Welcome to Locked On NFL, the number one daily National Football League podcast on the number one daily sports podcast network. I am Brian Peacock alongside the scout Matt Williamson. You can find me on Twitter at BD Peacock. Matt is at Williamson NFL. And the show, just like all the programs here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team is covered on all of your favorite podcast apps daily. And the NFL is cruising, Matt. And I think, I don't know if it's more because of how hold up people are in their own home draft, I almost said home studios. You and I are in our home studios. They're in their draft <laughs> war rooms in their home offices at home watching film and a little studio-like with their film and some high-tech gadgetry, I'm sure, in all of their homes that they already had because I know a lot of coaches and GMs and scouts and folks watch film at home as well as in the office. But everybody's at home. I wonder if there's less conversation, less conversation between teams right now with teams trying to figure out how to get their 30 visits in and talk to prospects, and they are sort of at home, and there's not much as much news around the league because of where everyone's at and trying to figure out this draft thing right now. Yeah, and every year you hit that lull where in typical situations, this is about that time where they all go in their foxholes and really start putting time in in the war room. Like when I was with the Browns, we had one day that was just dedicated towards getting our safety board from 1 to 20 or whatever, you know what I mean, getting the, the safety ranks and next day was corners. And then when you're done with them all, you'd rank them vertically. How about this safety versus running back, you know, things like that. So it's about that time anyway. And, you know, the free agents that are still out there are probably in a little bit of no man's land. And a lot of them are going to have to wait till post draft. But I think you're hundred percent right too, that because of the way the world is communications harder, you can't just get your defensive backs coach, your safety coach and defensive coordinator, all the area scouts in this big room, to just talk face to face. So everything has to be a little bit more challenging and slower, I would imagine. By the way, we will have Matt William Matt Williamson's been working on his rankings as well. We're going to get to his top 10 wide receivers on today's show. Also NFC North post free agency review. Take a look at what and you mentioned there might be still a few signings trickling in, but see what the NFC North was up to in the month of March. And there is one bit of news out there first, and there might still be some trades that could possibly happen. This from Mike Garofalo of NFL.com, or Garofalo, I believe is how he, pr- he pronounces it. Yeah, right. say that properly. Uh, by the way, Yannick Ngakwe, happy 25th birthday. Still only 25 years old, one of the best speed pass rushers in the NFL. And Garofalo said that team, multiple clubs have reached out to the Jaguars with trade interest in Yannick Ngakwe. And then... Ngakwe, who has already been vocal on Twitter about wanting to be out of Jacksonville, replied to the Garofolo report and he said, let's agree to disagree. Why hold a man from taking care of his family? It's obvious my time is up in my current situation. Let's both move on. And then he tags the Jaguars in it <laughs> and uh, a finish line flag emoji. So he's done. He's at the finish line in Jacksonville, potentially, and a team might be looking to trade for Ngakwe. And that makes perfect sense. I mean, last year showed us that Frank Clark, D4, these guys can move, you know, after getting franchised. Edge guys are always going to be in demand, especially proven ones, and the Dockway certainly fits that bill. I'm not sure how I would rank those three, but they're all pretty much in the same tier of really good but not elite edge pass rushers, which has a ton of value, of course. Um, 
he doesn't want to be in Jacksonville. Jacksonville is in total rebuild mode. I think they're the favorite to get the first overall pick. They've really structured their team poorly over the last few years, and now they're paying the price. And, you know, I, I would imagine I, I didn't come up with any teams, but I'm sure I could come up with five teams that would be interested in the Dockway for a potential second round pick. And you've brought this up several times, and you're dead on. I mean, if you don't get Chase Young and only Washington's probably getting Chase Young, you're probably not going to get much help from off the edge in this draft. Yeah, and depending on if maybe there's a second edge player you really like for a team, you might want to wait until draft day to make that trade and see if somebody falls to you. But at some point, you've got to be ready to pony up some picks for Yannick Ngakwe, especially compared to this class and this edge class, and then go draft another position in the first round. And I don't know if it would take a first rounder. I don't know what the compensation would be. If multiple clubs have reached out and he's still not traded, that would make me believe maybe that Jacksonville's not getting the offers that they want. I don't know. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know how to take that. I mean, wasn't D Ford a second? I mean, I think that's yeah. probably the going rate unless I'm an elite team, you know, if I'm the Chiefs or the Ravens or a team like that, I'm not sure I would take their late second. I'd probably want a pick somewhere from 25 to 45, give or take, or a next year second from a team I don't think is very good and throw in a fifth or something like that. Yeah, a second, but a top 50 second because I think I would pay more for Ngakwe, but I don't know if and Frank Clark got a first last year so maybe that's what right. the Jaguars are holding out for is that first round picks but I would guess it'd have to be a top 50 ish pick so a higher second if it is a second rounder I mean what if you're Atlanta you know or yeah you know, I mean I know they signed Fowler but they could always use more pass rush I mean a lot of teams in the second half of round one could you know Seattle would you give up your first for Dendokwe if you're in those teams because it's rough business when you got to trade an asset for the player and obviously he's proven but then you got to pay him so it's a double whammy you got to pay him and also there's probably some teams out there that are thinking well look who knows if he's going to be happy with us we don't you don't want to just go out willy-nilly and trade a bunch of assets and spend a bunch of cash on a guy that is he going to be unhappy with you next year and want to be out of wherever your city is so that's and and look i don't know if that's the case with Ngakwe, but teams are going to ask themselves that question oh yeah i mean I think a lot of people want out of Jacksonville, and Ndokwe doesn't have a habit of being a disgruntled employee or any character issues that I'm aware of. But if he's unhappy there, well, who's to say he's going to be you know, a model citizen in my locker room? And it's it's pretty clear that the common denominator here is Jacksonville because he's not the only guy that's wanted out of there. Um, Matt, really quick here, I do want to get to a quote from Lee Steinberg, NFL super yeah. agent who's been doing this a long time. This is from an article by Jennifer Lee Chan, I saw on NBC NBC Sports. And it was an interesting take from Lee Steinberg, who thinks that maybe it's not going to hurt teams that much to have less information this draft season and have fewer pro days and not have as many face-to-face meetings with prospects. He said, quote, When I first started in the industry in 1975 with Steve Barkowski, there were no pro days, no team meetings, no combine. If you look at statistics from players then to those selected in 2005, The players in 1975 were more successful and productive. Teams obviously believe that the more information they have, the better, but at some point, it's enough. I believe that they have enough information to make educated and prudent choices. So it's the analysis by paralysis, or the paralysis by analysis thing, where you get so much information, and maybe too much information is hurting teams, and it's really clouding. And I've heard a lot of people say, look, if the scouting process stopped in January, teams might have a better track record than they do the way this thing goes through April. 
Yeah, and I, I am a proponent of that theory of put the pen down after they're done playing their last bit of football. If that's their bowl game, their last game of the year, the senior bowl, East West Shrine, whatever, put that away, file a report, and then tweak it, but come back and look at that report and say, did I get too far off base these last couple of months when no football's happening? I think that's a great way to scout. And I think there's some good things said here by Lee Steinberg, who's obviously been around and super duper successful. Um, everyone wants the information. And the one thing I didn't quite understand is, you know, he said something about players were more productive then than now. And is that true? I mean, is yeah, there I a... I didn't quite get that part. He might be conveniently forgetting about some players that weren't great back then in <laughs> right, 1975. Right. I don't know about productive. Maybe he's just talking about productive as far as hit rates. And and who knows? Maybe teams are just locked into guys and they played bad players because they didn't have the other guy. Here, they had 12 rounds in the draft, right, at one point. So right, right. Um, you had more opportunities to bring guys in that played well. And there's... it's funny to hear about guys who were eighth-round draft picks who were Hall of Famers. It's like, well, there's not even an eighth round anymore. But um, yeah, different times, and it's not an apples-to-apples -apples comparison, even if the processes were lining up like Lee Steinberg says here. But I think there is something to that, and I think teams do make some mistakes, and they get too much information at times. I do, too. I mean, I, I think that what might come of this in the long run is teams might say, boy, we were starting to lean too much on non-tape evaluations over the past couple of years. Let's reset a little bit yeah. of how we scout players and go back to 75% of it should be tape if it's not what you're doing already. You know that, um, but still, I mean, the world's much different now than 75, obviously, <laughs> social media, all right. these things. You want to know. I mean, I don't want a guy Facebook live and like AB and, you know, that kind of stuff. I mean, that nobody would have cared about in 75. And there was I mean? stuff that might have gotten a player kicked out of school now that does that would have never got them kicked out of school in 1975 sure. and maybe they were able to sweep some stuff under the rugs and so uh, that's also an interesting aspect of this thing um so speaking of evaluations matt you've got your top 10 wide receivers let's get into that next and then we'll hit the nfc north all right matt is there any do you have any need to preface your rankings here is this more specific a to a team or is this just straight this is how you would draft it if your roster was blank Wide receiver, one to 10. The assignment is, and I think we're going to do 10 positions, basically every position. The Steelers, you know, PittsburghSteelers.com, their website, the official website of the Steelers, asked me to do my top lists. And it's very important to say this is not through a Steelers lens. They don't want the words Pittsburgh or Steelers in the article. It's just, hey, Matt, give us something to read at Steelers.com. So Steelers fans or whoever goes to the site will be a little bit more familiar with these guys. So I haven't done prospect rankings in a while. And basically all I did was I ranked the receivers so far from one to 10 through a non-Steelers, very general, very generic eye. And they just wanted two or three sentences on each. And it, it'll go live here soon. I'll tweet out the links for everybody. But I think it's interesting. And going through this list of receivers is tough. I mean, your ninth, tenth receiver are good players. Right, yeah, this is a very deep class, and I think it's been overblown compared to the 2014 class, but it is very good, very deep class. There's some, uh, I think there's two or three guys that would absolutely, I think there's at least three guys who would absolutely have been the top three 
ahead of everybody in last year's class as far as draft position, and then it goes yeah. deep. And, and on day two and even in day three, teams might find some nice gems in this class. But most of these prospects you have here won't make it to day three, but there might be some second or third rounders in there, and teams can find some value. So how does the class start for you at the top? I think you're in agreement that Jerry Judy's the best player in this draft. Yep. At the receiver position. Absolutely. Yep. Jerry Judy is my guy. And there might even be a slight little gap between Judy and the next two. And I think we're in agreement on the top three as well. Yeah. It seems like to be consensus. Although I've seen more and more people saying rugs could be the first off the board or won't be necessarily number three. He's still three for me with CD lamb in at two in between the two Bama guys. Wouldn't be shocked at all. If rugs goes very high, he's got that speed. We've seen it happen in the past. I talked about how, John Ross and Ted Ginn and some of those players were top 10 draft picks for a reason. The NFL loves speed. Defensive coordinators hate to try to cover speed. So Henry Ruggs, here's the question. We talked about paralysis by analysis. Are teams potentially double counting Ruggs 40 time? You already know he's fast. Then he runs a 427. Do you count it a second time? Because that could start to get some teams into trouble. It certainly could. Um, I heard the draft networks, um, Joe Marino say this, and he said he just moved rug. He had rugs at three all along in the process until like a day or two ago. And now he moved them to one. And his logic is like what you said. He thought about, he's also a bills guy who's lost locked on bills and said, who do I at least want to play against? Who do I want the dolphins Patriots, you know, t- jets not to draft. And he said, Jets don't draft rugs. So shouldn't I have him at number one? I'm like, well, okay. I can understand that logic. And I can see the argument that, look, we can't find this type of game-breaking speed. And I actually like Ruggs' full game. I think he's a football player that's fast, not a track guy yes. trying to play football. You, can, you can't you can find that necessarily later in the draft. But you, if, if you have an empty roster, say, and you're drafting from Matt Williamson's rankings, you can get Ruggs in round one. You can get that possession guy later in the draft. Those players are easier to find. This is your one shot to find that crazy amount of speed. Yeah, it's just such a rare trump card that plays no matter what. And the other thing about it, and he is my third receiver, but the thing I have said about rugs all along is the offense he goes to mm-hmm. will benefit from his presence more than any other receiver and their landing spot in this draft to me. That doesn't mean I want him on my fantasy team or he's going to be rookie of the year, but if he goes to Denver, I bet Denver runs the ball better and Sutton has more room and Fant catches a few more passes. You know what I mean? And if Patrick Mahomes is my quarterback, maybe Ruggs is easily my number one because he can take full advantage <laughs> right. of that speed. Uh, where where teams land at wide receiver four, five, six, that's the interesting one to me. And I think that's going to be very team specific. For Team Williamson, who do you have at four? And I think I'm a little I, – I think most have Justin Jefferson at four. And I expect Jefferson to be the fourth receiver taken. I have him at fifth. This is not a knock on Jefferson at all. Although he has not lined up outside the numbers and been a traditional, you know, two receiver set type guy. And I think that's going to take some adjusting, but I'm in love with Jalen Rager. Uh, I mean, his, I just can't get enough of the stat that pro football focus put out that 32%, I'm pretty sure it's 32% of the passes thrown his way were deemed catchable. I mean, come on. I mean, his quarterback situation is horrific and he's a great athlete he's super competitive i think rager is going to have a much better nfl career than college and i have a feeling rager is going to show up in your mock draft monday matt in that first round and in my mock he was 30 overall to the green bay packers and there's no 
there's no bigger jump in quarterback play than for someone like Jalen yeah. Rager, who goes from what he had at TCU to a future Hall of Famer in Aaron Rodgers, if that was the case. Yeah, and what's interesting to me, too, is I think the Eagles are planning on taking a receiver, but I do think the top three are gone. I think they could use a Rager-style receiver more than a Jefferson-style receiver, so maybe mm-hmm. that's about as early as he could go. Maybe they even go Mims there. I mean, I think they want a deep threat. And I wonder if some of those teams might say, you know what, we like the second tier, but we like that tier just as much as we like the the next group of guys we can get in the second or third round, so maybe we do want to move up to get into that top tier of wide receivers. Mm-hmm. Or maybe since it's so deep, teams don't care, and they won't be really fighting over each other to try to draft wide receivers in round one. Okay, where's the rest of your list here, and where's the delineation from your first-round guys and your second-round guys? I don't know that I have one. I mean, I really think this cluster is very similar. I had a very difficult time ranking. I think I'm higher on LaVisca Chenault, who's my sixth guy, than you are or most people are. And my logic was twofold on him in that I think the the league wants the Debo Samuel wingback type, and I think he's going to be very equipped to do that. And I also watched him and gave him the benefit of the doubt, which I don't know that I should have or not, that this guy had a serious core injury during pretty much every tape I watched. So if that goes away and he gains a little more explosion, I think the sky's the limit. But I'm the first to say maybe I'm too high on him. Yeah, I'm definitely lower on Chanel. I didn't see the otherworldly athleticism that he's gotten pinned with. Maybe it's because of injury, but that's another thing. It's like, okay, well, there's also this injury history, so he's either injured too often or isn't as athletic as athletic as people are saying he is so either way that's what hurts him for me we'll see how NFL teams feel about him I see him in first round mocks still all the time so I have a feeling someone's telling somebody that they really like LaVisca Chenault okay seven eight nine ten uh some speed out here some size out here if you're looking for that bigger wide receiver round two might be a sweet spot Brandon Ayuk goes seven Mims eight from Baylor T Higgins from Clemson at nine which is a little shocking considering where he was a couple of months ago, and I don't hold his pro day too much against him. And my 10th one was a tough call, but I went with Michael Pittman at USC. Yeah, Pittman, so smooth for his size yeah. and really had a fantastic combine. Talked about it during my mock draft Monday that the players that worked out and worked out well at the combine are way ahead and have a huge advantage right now in this uh, draft process in April because other players can't throw out there 40 times. And, and Michael Pittman, I think, is going to be one of the maybe – biggest gainers of that and do you see any of these guys getting out of round two i do not at this point no i thought michael pittman was a third round guy and i don't think he gets out of round two now Ayuk is just too and he's you know talking about that debo samuel type i think Ayuk can definitely be that guy for some teams in the second round range i don't know if mims gets out of round one with what he's done this postseason and his ability to be a perimeter deep threat and that speed we talk about the teams love and then T. Higgins just too good of downfield ball long. skills, and yeah. even if he's a step slow, if you need that X receiver, he can still be that for you. And again, where he goes and, and what offense he ends up in and how much dog he has, how hard he wants to work, I think is going to be a key because sometimes I see him just kind of cruise because he's better than everybody, and to a certain point, that's not going to work anymore in the NFL. But I like T. Higgins, and in round two, feel pretty good about him. Yeah, I, I do too, and I think his stock has dropped, and that's legit, but... I, I, I wouldn't be shocked if all these guys go top 50. I would not either. Okay, that's top 10 for Matt Williamson. We're going to see some of those names Monday in his mock draft. Let's move on to NFC North. Take a look at what they did in free agency. 
Chicago Bears, Matt, first on the list here, NFC North. They are a team that needed a quarterback, and they got one. I don't know how you feel about Nick Foles, who they acquired in trade. They also re-signed linebacker Danny Trevathan. They signed, this was a surprising one, Robert Quinn got a five-year contract, $70 million from the Chicago Bears. Uh, tight end Jimmy Graham, two years, $16 million. He says he's still fast and in the best shape of his life. First time he's been 100% in a while, so we'll see how that turns out for Chicago. They re-signed Deion Bush. They signed one-year contract cornerback Artie Burns, and they signed one-year contract for safety Lucas or Jordan Lucas. And their key losses here so far have been Prince Amukamara, who was cut, Taylor Gabriel, wide receiver, who was cut, Nick Kwiatkowski, linebacker, Leonard Floyd was cut, edge player, who was replaced with Quinn, uh, Kevin Pierre-Lewis at linebacker, Chase Daniel, who moved on and still got a big contract to be a backup, who is my hero, uh, Kyle Long retired, <laughs> and HaHa Clinton Dix moving on as well. I'm not far. I'm not going to say a lot of good things about the and Lions. Uh, I, I understand the direction of the teams and the front offices. I understand the allure of the familiarity with Foles, especially in the time that we're at and acclimating to a new offense. It'll be easier for him than, say, Andy Dalton or whomever. But you picked up that contract, too, from Foles, which is not a good contract. I think their front seven with Quinn and Trevathan should be exceptional, and uh, that's going to be the strength of the team. But they got weaker at corner, which you know could use a little bit of work. So I think corner is still a need. I think the Kyle, Kyle Long's missed a lot of time, but they could still use a guard. I think their skill guys are fine, but Foles and Trubisky isn't getting it done for me. If you had to throw money down on it, even money bet, would you pick Foles or Trubisky as the guy who wins that job and is starting week one? Foles. Interesting. And I wonder how yeah. much of an improvement that team would get just with a little bit better quarterback play. And I, I don't know if you can expect uh, a lot better quarterback play. And if Trubisky wins the job, maybe that means that he took a step and maybe that's what he needed was to be pushed. So we'll see. And I think they still believe in Trubisky. Uh, we got to move on to the Detroit Lions here who signed cornerback Desmond Trufant from the Falcons. Two years, $21 million. Jaron Curse. Uh, Signed a one-year, $2.75 million contract. Jamie Collins, three years, $30 million, 18 guaranteed. Chase Daniel went to Detroit from Chicago. Three years, $13 million to hold a clipboard, which he does so darn well. Uh, Deron Harmon <laughs> via trade. Uh, Danny Shelton, two years, $8 million. Need some girth and some size inside there for Detroit in that odd man front. And then Big V, offensive tackle, five years, $50 million for Halapulavati Vitae. Uh, the losses. Oh, that's well done. Darius Slay. I, I practiced that one so far this offseason a few times when I was looking at uh, looking at things. There's some draft prospects too, man, getting tongue-tied with some of these guys. I'm getting better, though. Uh, Mike Daniels, uh, Graham Glasgow, Damon Harrison. Snacks was cut. Still unsigned Snacks, and he's still one of the best cloggers out there. So I wonder if he's going to sign. Maybe a team wants to wait till after the draft for Snacks to get a new contract somewhere. Ashawn Robinson gone. Devin Kennard was cut, and cornerback Rashawn Melvin. Those were the losses in Detroit. How would we feel about the Lions? Better team now than they were a month ago. I don't believe so. Uh, again, I don't quite understand the direction of these two teams we are just talking about. I have not said good things about the Packers. I've called them one of the more overrated teams in the league last year. But, boy, I think their division got a lot easier this offseason. <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure any of these teams are – threatening and I think the Vikes are going backwards you know the Lions 
I, I know that there's money involved and there's more to it than just on the field. But if you trade true font for or slay for true font and snacks for Shelton and sprinkle in Mike Daniels and Ashawn Robinson. And I do like the Jamie Collins signing and Vitae is going to help, although it's an overpay, but are you better? I mean, I, I don't really think so. You know, you know, glass now is a good player and now they really have a big hole at guard. I think the rest of that offense that, but it's going to be a defensive draft, probably a corner high, you know, as everyone's mocking them. But uh, I don't understand the direction of these two teams very well. And I, not how I would have gone about the offseason. It's a good spot for them in the draft to upgrade yeah. at cornerback. And you can't really look at it as a swap of Darius Slay for Desmond Trufant because that's obviously a loss. I don't think you get better going from Damon Harrison to Danny Shelton. You get cheaper at both of those spots, but you don't get better. Um, right, and right. I, so many offensive linemen we've seen that were not great tackles that you don't want to be starters get $10 million for multiple years. I mean, when I see these contracts for guys like Big V, and there's a number of them for different teams, the Jets signed some guys. It's like, give me that top 10 offensive tackle in the draft this year because I don't want to have to spend $10 million a year on a bad offensive lineman. Yeah, it's a terrible market to be in. Uh, real quick, I failed to mention that I thought the Jimmy Graham signing by the Bears was probably the worst in all of free agency. <laughs> okay, wow, okay. Uh, <laughs> so there's that. Well, the team that lost Jimmy Graham, let's go to the Green Bay Packers. They didn't do a lot. Christian, And they've, no. they've been a team that doesn't do a lot in free agency as far as big money additions, but they did bring in a blocking tight end, Mercedes Lewis, one year, $2.25 million. They... Assigned uh, Rick Wagner for two years, $11 million at tackle, which is a much better bargain than some of the other tackles I've seen out there. And when I say bad about Big V and some others, they're not that bad at football players, but for $10 million, that's bad. That's a much better like deal. Yeah. Two years, eleven for right. Wagner as opposed to you know $10 million a year for Flowers and Vitae and those guys. And then a signing I do like is Christian, Christian Kirksey, two years, $16 million. They lost Blake Martinez, Brian Bulaga, Tremont Williams, Adronimo Allison, Kyler Fackrell, and Jimmy Graham. They also added Funchess, who we've talked about a oh, lot, yes, and we're hoping they're not done at wide receiver. And that goes back to my wide receiver ranks and Rager and Mox and all that. Um, hopefully they're not happy with their big, slow wide receivers. Um, again, Belaga for Wagner, I can live with. You know, that's it's not the same as those lion swaps because it's a lot different money. Kirksey, to me, is better than Martinez. And you, it, neither one of those signings prohibits me from drafting a linebacker or a tackle high, but I can line up with them on Sunday and be fine. I, I could see why this team, after such a busy offseason a year ago, two first round picks, a lot of signings, both edges that would that would kind of take a cold, you know, take a step back this year. And that makes perfect sense to me. They're, yeah. they're set up well for the draft. And I like that strategy. I think you laid it out there. You you sign some guys, Funches, Wagner. They don't prevent you from, if the right guy's there at the end of round one, if the wide receiver is still there, if an offensive tackle you like is there, it doesn't prevent you from drafting that guy, but it doesn't make you have to get forced into one position that you have to take and maybe make a bad right. pick at the end of round one. Right, and you can line up with the guys you have. There's not this glaring hole. They're fine replacements, but it's not like, oh, we signed Martinez. We can't draft a great linebacker. The Minnesota Vikings might be trying to get more multiple on the defensive side of the ball. They added themselves a nice little nose tackle. Michael Pierce, three years, $28 million to play in the middle of that defensive line. 
They put the franchise tag on Anthony Harris. They re-signed fullback C.J. Ham. They put the second-round tender on linebacker Eric Wilson, so not a lot of big additions aside from a nose tackle. And uh, obviously, they added the 22nd overall pick in round one, trading Stephon Diggs to Buffalo. Uh, some key losses. They lost multiple cornerbacks, Trey Waynes, Xavier Rhodes, and Mackenzie Alexander. Looks like Everson Griffin is going to be gone. Long-time edge player in Minnesota, Linval Joseph on the defensive line, gone. And Jaron Curse and Andrew Sandejo at safety. So a complete revamp of the secondary for the Vikings. Yeah, and I'm not going to be as hard on Minnesota as I was Detroit and Chicago, but I think they got worse. And the reason I'm going to give them a little bit pass is they just didn't have any cap space. That's their fault. I mean, I get that. But, I mean, that defense, you swap out Joseph for Pierce. Okay, they're both big noses. They'll do the job. But you lost several corners, Everson Griffin. I mean, four or five starters that you really didn't replace on defense. I mean, I know you have two first-round picks. You better hit on them, and that was good value for Diggs. But you go into that. I mean, the, the total opposite of conversation we just had about Green Bay. You go into this draft with one receiver of note on your roster, a <laughs> guard situation that could use help, and an argument that you might need four starters on defense. I mean, uh, they can't just take best people available. They need to go draft by position. Right, and they're going to hit those two positions in every mock draft, as they should. We'll see, if they're, we'll see if they're able to do that at wide receiver and cornerback. And there's going to be some good players at 20, where are they, 22 and 25? Is that right? Yeah, 22 and 25, I, I believe, so, yeah, in round right. one. It's going to be the second tier of both wide receiver and cornerback, most likely, but there's still some good players there. So we'll see who they decide is their plug-and-play players that's why i like some guys that might be ready to go that have played you know a lot of ball in the sec like justin jefferson and mm-hmm. aj terrell and christian fulton and those types i think will be high on the minnesota vikings list yeah i just can't envision them being a better football team next year than they were last year all right that is the nfc north an interesting i mean th- those are all teams except for the Lions that are are trying to be a playoff team. And we saw a step back from the Bears last year. Can they come back and, and take another step back forward and be that team? And is Foles enough to help? And the Vikings and Packers, obviously, deep in the playoff mix this year, expect to be back there again. Did they take a step back? Can they maintain where they're at? It's going to be a fun division to watch. In 2020, that's what they've done so far. Obviously, the draft to come. We will continue to look at everything going on in the National Football League preview the NFL draft, continue our division-by-division looks. we got to go west next, maybe a little south first with our divisions here, and then, of course, Matt's mock draft. I'm going to keep teasing it. I can't wait to break down your mock draft and crush it next Monday, Matt. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, all the news, everything, draft, free agency, we've got you covered here. Locked on NFL.